Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Start this because no one else can, and then it messes me up if they don't. Um, but I'm really messed up if we're too spread out, okay? So here's what I'm going to do before we even get started. Let's all stand to our feet, please. I want you to lift your hands toward heaven. And Father, let's do that. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Father, we declare right now that we come into your presence with a heart to capture and take hold of your power in such a way, God, that we would change our world in Jesus' name. So, Father, I ask for your anointing to come right now. I ask that you would equip us that you would fill us to overflowing with your power tonight. God, that every bit of fear would be busted off our lives tonight and that we would enter into a realm, Lord God, of confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we believe right now that you have called us, every single one of us, to evangelize, to declare, and to bring hope to our world. So, God, I pray right now from the front of this meeting to the back, every single person would be equipped and empowered with an anointing tonight that would shift them into a realm, Lord God, where we would truly see a breakthrough in soul winning in Jesus' name. So, God, we thank you right now for the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come on. Now, we're gonna, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. This is not a church service, okay? So, first of all, number one, we're going to shift seats. I want everybody as close to the front as we can get, all right? So, we're going to do that. Otherwise, it's senseless, I'll tell you. Um, I mean, this is all part of it anyway. This is always part of whenever I do this course, I make people move because we've got to know how to move out of our comfort zone, number one. Because if ever we're comfortable with a zone, and we're comfortable with a position, we've already missed what God will do. Because the number one thing he says is go. And that's going to be beyond where you are right now. It's going to be to your neighbor's house. It's going to be somewhere that you are uncomfortable with. So just get uncomfortable, all right? Are we cool? Are we cool? Are we cool? Okay? Ready to go. Now, and who said you could sit down? I just asked you to move. So now that you're in that zone, sorry to do this to you. You can stay seated, all right? uh, But what we're going to do right now is we're going to speak in tongues for 120 seconds. That's two minutes. A minimum requirement to be a Holy Spirit person, to be, have anything to do with winning the world I think we have to know and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit to be effective at winning the lost amen let's speak in tongue one two three Shanganamodu <laughs> 
Shamana manamuru didi ambulu balanda takara buru bari ababa bayanda. Shamana manamana mani andu tutu tuti abade bari andu. Limili amalu mali anda sikiri ababa babalu tukuri ababa bayanda. Shamana manamana mani ambulu bali abadu bari andu sukumi. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to stop right now because 120 seconds is up, okay? But it would be good to keep going. That probably activated more power into this night than anything you could imagine that or that I would say. That probably releases more into your spirit about what God wants us to be equipped with than anything I would say. But nonetheless, let's get into it, okay? So you can take a seat now, and we're going to go, all right? I'll start with this letter. I'll start with this letter that I received some time, some time ago, but I'm going to start with this letter nonetheless, okay? Dear Don, I'm not sure if you remember me or not, but I wanted to thank you for introducing me to Jesus. It's not a bad way to start a letter. And the special prayers that you said over my life six months ago. You were staying in the ho same hotel as my husband Chris and I, and at first we thought you to be a little strange. We met you in a lift going down to breakfast, and you stated that this was going to be the greatest day in our lives and that God had something special in store for us. Unknown to you at that time, I was going to Royal Melbourne Hospital to have treatment for bone marrow cancer. You then asked, while we were in the elevator, if you could have breakfast with us, where you shared your story. You then prayed the sinner's prayer with us at the end of it, and we both received Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Following breakfast, you asked if I would like you to pray with me. I was deeply touched by the way you seemed to care and your compassion and spiritual awareness. Now that I have email access, I just wanted to let you know that was the greatest day in my life. I have been totally cleared of all cancer. Leukemia has totally gone out of my body. I want to thank God because I was so scared about my future. Now I am fit and well, and I want to thank you for being out there, for being available, for being God's messenger, and for being there at the most desperate time in my life. I wish you all the best, Karen Bartish. That's a pretty powerful letter. Um, we're going to talk about how does that happen. How do you actually 
um, win someone like that for Christ. I think we should all be soul winners. Um, so we're going to talk about that tonight and how do we be more effective at winning the loss for Christ. Um, I seem to win a lot of people to Christ. I consistently make it my goal, I believe, to win one person to Christ every week, okay? And I pretty much do do that. Um, and that's on an, it's easy, I'm a pastor, so I get to go in churches like this and win lots of people, see lots of people come to Christ. Hopefully that's because people have brought people, hopefully because that's people have been effective in evangelism. Nonetheless, I think that every one of us should be equipped to bring people into the body of Christ, okay? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, um, number one, write down any questions you may have because we want to open this up to questions in a while. I just don't want this to be a, like a one-way sort of a thingamy dialogue because I don't think people learn out of that. I want it to be a little bit two-way, so we're going to have questions, and if you have questions, we're going to answer, attempt to answer, well, we'll get Mark to answer the questions. Um, um, but we'll try and do the best we can to answer your question and to equip you to be a radical soul winner in this place, okay? So just to be really practical up with, okay? Um, if you don't carry with you a packet of those, or Mark, breath freshener, which Mark always lends to me, thank you. There you go. If you don't carry that sort of thing, you're ill-equipped to even be effective as an evangelist, just on a practical side. If you don't keep yourself well, if you don't get rid of BO, if you don't ask someone, do I have BO? Because sometimes we don't know. We've got, it would appear to me that we don't know. If I sit beside people on the plane who stink, who don't seem to be aware that they stink, it's apparent they're unaware that they stink. So it's good, I make a habit of asking people if I smell okay, all right? We've got to, so there's some very practical things here. Number one, your hygiene is number one in being an effective evangelist. Because there's nothing worse than having someone try to tell you about Jesus and they have number one stink breath or body odour because I don't want to listen to you. I've had people sit beside me on aeroplanes. I mostly pretend that I'm not a Christian when I'm on an aeroplane, especially if I'm sitting beside a Christian, okay? If I'm sitting beside a Christian, I do not want them to know that I'm a Christian. If I see them handle a Bible or anything, I don't usually let them know because quite often they're fruitcakes and they'll do crazy things. Like they'll put the big black Bible. I've told you this story, haven't I? The guy who put the big black Bible down, I think I've told it in this church. Most of you would have heard it, have you? How many haven't heard that story? Okay, so a guy sits down beside me, puts his big black Bible down on the thing in front of him and then turns to me and says, are you a Christian? To which I responded, no, what would I, be one of one of, what would I want to be one of those for? Look at you. Okay, <laughs> which is a little arrogant maybe, but he was not a picture of health and neither was he nice. So it checked. It shattered him a little bit. It undermined his style of evangelism, which was let's get another um, notch in my belt that I won someone to Christ on the aeroplane today. He didn't care about me. He didn't care that my son had been killed just a few weeks before. 
He didn't care at all what was going on in my life. And so I gave him a very hard time, and um, <coughs> which got quite vocal and out of control. Those are just a couple of things. You'll notice that Karen mentioned in that letter just another thing that's quite practical. Did some faint? Uh, another thing that's quite practical is that Karen mentioned there, um, which I think is a pretty um, um, significant statement, Thank you that you seemed to care. I think if it's all about winning someone to Christ, just don't do it, please. Um, thank you that you had compassion. Now, I'd be called one of the least compassionate people in the planet. My wife would not tell you I'm compassionate. Most of the people I pastor, I don't think they think I'm compassionate. I think they think I'm more compassionate now. I've had people say to me, that you're a better man since your son got killed. <laughs> Which doesn't worry me, because there could be an element of truth to it, actually. I think I've become more compassionate since my son was killed, and I think I understand people's feelings a little more. So nonetheless, those are very practical things. The way you dress, can I just say, the way you dress is significant, because... If we want to break into this world, we at least, least need to be relevant to the people that we're hanging with, okay? So there's some pretty practical things to this, like get a haircut. Get yourself, don't cut it yourself, okay? You learn that. <laughs> um, um, just do some things that are practical. And, and I think sometimes we forget the practical stuff and we dive into how spiritual you should be and how much you should pray. And I think we miss some of the practical things. Here's another thing, all right, that I want to just get across there right at the beginning of this, is you cannot be offended. You cannot be offended by... If, if they swear, use the F word several times to you, you can't even flinch. Because the minute you flinch, you no longer relate to their world. The minute you're offended by the way they speak, you don't relate to their world um, you, Jesus, I mean, I think Jesus could be in anyone's world relatable. He wasn't offended by their ways, their behavior. He was just him in the middle of their culture. And I think we've got to learn to be. And so please, if we're going to learn to be more effective in evangelism and win people to Christ, let's be unoffendable. Like, unoffendable. Like, and that, of course, starts in church. I mean, if we get offended in church, we're screwed for evangelism. If, you can't, if, you, if you're going to get hurt here, you've got not a chance out there because they do not care about you. They don't care. Um, um, I, I'll give you, hopefully, some examples of that. I'll, no, let me just tell you about... Um, right now, I'll share a story about um, Brian, who's now become a good friend of mine who sent me an email today and we message consistently. Brian goes to the same gym I go to. Brian's a good guy. He's a worldly, very worldly guy. In fact, most people at the gym, all are at the gym. Most people who go to the gym, anybody here go to the gym just before we get too carried away here? Okay. Most people who go to the gym are about themselves, okay? So just trying to find out who you were. Um, and um, they're just totally about them, you know? 
and uh, that's how it goes. We're just all there about us. That's why they've got mirrors. We look in the mirrors. We see how cool we look in the mirrors and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of people, it's 100% about them. Um, the men's room has hair dryers and hair curlers in it. Hair curl, hair straighteners even, hair straighteners. It's, that's, that's the gym for you, which would tell you that everybody's about themselves, okay? And that's pretty much it. Not that that's a problem. I go to the gym, all right, because good thing to get fit and stay fit and be a little bit healthy. Um, uh, it's just a, another thing that I think if we're not healthy, then we kind of disqualify ourselves. You, you, you can't, be, you know, we, 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 we want to judge people for being drinking alcohol or whatever. Having a no, sorry. Let me change that. We want to judge people for having an alcoholic problem or a smoking or any addiction problem, actually. But if you have a food problem, you can't say boo, because that's just how it is. Because Jesus judged gluttony more than any other sin. Gluttony is mentioned. So if we have food problems, if we cannot control, and and, and, and what I'm just trying to say here, if we can't get self-discipline into action. We disqualify ourselves from winning lots of people to Christ. Okay? And so those are just, so I, I go to the gym, right? And so I'm there. Nobody really, I don't think they know I'm a Christian, although they will find I'm a Christian because I'm kind of carrying something on my life. Not what I say. I don't think it should be what we say. I don't ever think it should be that we are loudly proclaiming the gospel. I think we should be. And don't get me wrong here. If you, if you are not having an effect, there's a problem. Your living a lifestyle of Christianity should affect the area you're in, okay? So I go to the gym. Uh, in fact, the only reason I'm at the gym, let's get right back to it there. The only reason I'm at the gym is that I led the owner of the gym to Christ, Okay. So because I led him to Christ, then I got involved in his family and his daughter got set free of anorexia and we had miracle family and lots of miracles and so his family's been made whole. He's now one of my big advocates who thinks I'm a cool guy because his family's been totally changed, his marriage has been saved. So he says, Don, I'm going to give you lifetime membership at the gym. You can just come along for free and because uh, I want you to stay fit so you can keep preaching the gospel because what you're preaching is pretty real. And uh, he was a guy who was a total skeptic and a total atheist and didn't believe God until one day I talked to him at the gym and he was challenged by my lifestyle, which is a good thing, you know. He said, you're the realest Christian I've ever met, which I probably doubt that. But nonetheless, in his opinion, I was the realest Christian he'd ever met because I didn't judge him. I, I'm just not into judgment. Judgment. Um, I didn't try to uh, condemn him at all. I was just having a chat and talking about my life and mostly probably talking about the fun I have in life, okay? And so anyway, so he gives me free membership, so I end up at the gym, and I just go down there and work out with a few of the guys and observe guys. I like observing people. Jesus was an observer of people, okay? Um, Jesus fed the multitude, spent time with... Um, uh, lots of people at the wedding, miracles happened with lots of people, and then he narrows his ministry down to one person, the blind man at the gate of Jericho, then the one woman who he went out of his way to specially meet one woman at 
the Samaritan well. And so Jesus was interested in observing people. She comes to the well, he observes her, he speaks into her life, her world changes. So I'm a bit of an observer. And I think if you want to be effective at evangelism, let's, let's not speak before we observe. Don't be too quick to speak. Um, um, so anyway, Brian's there. We end up, I get invited to a breakfast, okay? Breakfast at the gym and nothing flash because they eat a lot of healthy food. So it's not really going to turn you on. Some of it's awful stuff, lots of nuts and all that. <laughs> stuff you can't chew. And uh, that's why it's healthy, because you can't chew it. So it's not going to do any good. It's not going to do any harm. <laughs> Whatever. So I go to this breakfast, and I wasn't going to go to the breakfast, all right? These are all, there's, there's lessons in this. So I, to go through all the notes, it would bore you. So get the lessons as we go, okay? Because every one of those points I give you is a point tonight, all right? That's in the notes. So I, go, I, I don't want to go to the breakfast because I don't really um, want to hang with these selfish, up-yourself people, okay? So I'm like, nah. And I came out and I saw them all sitting there and, and I thought, why would I? And I went walking past them and I was going to leave the gym and I actually got out the door on the way to my car and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, go back and have breakfast with them. Now that's probably the most significant thing I will say tonight. Right there. If you didn't note that down, the Holy Spirit said to him, you probably missed the point of everything I'll say tonight. Because what we should really do tonight is a complete study of the Holy Spirit. Because I would say, if he's not leading you, you ain't going to lead no one to Christ. Okay? And uh, accessing the power of the Holy Spirit would be my number one key to winning the lost. Accessing the power of the Holy Spirit and getting the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life. We're very good with it. I find we're pretty good with the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Where how they go, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness. Nine gifts. The nine gifts are the nine gifts of the sorry, the nine fruits of the spirit we're very good with. The gifts we're not so good with. The gift lots of churches now love all those fruits. That's why they're fruity. But they miss the gifts. And see, if you've got, like, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Holy Spirit was represented in the New Testament, at least, as a dove. A, if you do any study on the dove, you'll find that they have nine pinnacles on each wing with which they fly. And incidentally, just for you here tonight, they have two wings. So on one side of the nine fruits of the spirit on the other side of the nine gifts of the spirit you cannot just be a charitable church or person that does good works good works is good but without the nine gifts of the spirit in operation you have a one-winged dove that will crash land very quickly either that or they twirl around in circles before they hit the deck and I see that a lot today, unfortunately. I see a lot, a lot of one-winged dove ministry that wants to do charitable acts but doesn't have the power 
that unlocks the supernatural. The nine gifts of the Spirit are? Let's hear them. Not from your pastor. Let's hear them. Yeah? Anybody can talk here. We might have to get back to you, Ross. Come on. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, come on. Beautiful. Hey, I love it. You're on to it. Yeah. That's right. Word of wisdom. Word of knowledge. I think we've now covered the nine, actually. And so the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are incredibly significant in any of that happening. If I didn't walk out of that room and know the voice of the Spirit, it was all over. Brian would go to a lost eternity in hell. But because I acknowledged the voice of the... Incidentally, hearing God, see, we can get so... Just in this one story could be every point I've got to give you tonight. Because if you don't know the voice of the Spirit, man, you've already missed it. You've got to know how to discern the voice of the Spirit. Well, I think we, I was talking about it with some... Where are you? We were talking about it today, yeah. Um, know how to discern the voice. There's three voices you'll hear in your life. Your own voice. Your own voice will speak to you all the time. Your own chatterbox will say you're a loser. You're no good. You can't do that. What do you think you're doing? Why would you dare stand up there? Why would you even say anything? You're going to make a goon out of yourself and you'll look like an idiot in front of all these people. Just sit down and shut up. That's your own voice, okay? Depending on where your own voice is at. The second voice you'll hear is the voice of the devil. He is real quick to... He's been speaking to humans since the day we were created. Okay? So he spoke to Eve and said, did God really say? And so she ends up taking the apple, okay? He's been speaking to humans ever since. So you'll hear that voice, your own voice. And the third voice you'll hear is the voice of the Holy Spirit. You have to become discerning enough to discern what is your voice, especially if it's your unredeemed voice. Because once, you're, once you know who you are, whose you are, and what you're here for, your voice is different. You know who you are, so therefore you're not going to condemn yourself. And therefore the voice of the Spirit begins to speak through you, okay? Your chatterbox, okay? We all have a chatterbox, I call it. Your chatterbox is the voices you will listen to. If the devil speaks to you, he'll condemn you mostly, pull you down, tell you you're no good and you can't do it. If you listen to the voice of the Spirit, he will do things like when you're walking out of the room. He'll say, hey, turn around and go back. I want you to go and speak to There's a guy in there. I want to get saved today, okay? So you turn around and go back. So the thing is to discern about hearing the voice of God. It's like when you walk past, you haven't been fasting for a week, and you walk past a hot bread shop, your stomach will say to you, you are hungry. That's how he speaks. That's how it happens, right? It's not, Don, go back into the shop. It's never like that, and people think it is. Incidentally, um, can I say this to you just in that, if you don't obey the voice of the Spirit, he'll stop speaking to you. And so I've had seasons in my life where he stopped speaking because I disobeyed him, okay? I'm aware of my disobedience, and that's when we need to repent and get right again. I know people who have disobeyed God to such a degree where they no longer even know the voice of God. I've known the voice of God since the day I came to Christ, okay? I've known. When I'm not hearing that voice, I'm missing that voice because we have relationship. It's like when you have a wife or a mother or a father or whatever it is, people that are close to you, it's good to hear that you don't want to go home and sit 
down and they're not talking to you. If they're not communicating as an issue in your life, a lot of people live their Christian life like that and wonder why they're just boring and uninteresting and can't get along and can't change because we're not hearing the voice of God. We need to be tuned in to the right frequency to hear the voice of God. That'll happen through one thing called obedience. Obedience. This is all about winning people to Christ, all right? These are the keys that really work. Otherwise, people say to me, yeah, what are the techniques for winning someone to Christ? Well, I'm not going to give you any techniques because it's all about relationship, okay? There's no techniques to how to quickly, you know, the guy beside me with the big black Bible had a technique. His technique was put your big fat black Bible down, scare the hell out of them, and then tell them, are you a Christian with a stinky breath? That was his technique, okay? It didn't work. And at the end of it, I convinced him to be what I was convinced him I was, was an atheist, okay? And I won the battle. If it's all about techniques and arguments, I'm going to win every time. And I convinced him that his Christianity was hopeless and that he should become like me and believe in atheism, all right? He was quite angry about it, but in the end he agreed. That was fair call. Okay, and reincarnation and all that. So that's the stupid thing if you're going to go with your technique. You can have your techniques, they stink. I want relationship with the Father that flows through my life, so what I'm giving is a living message, a living message of hope. So that's probably the most significant thing I will say today is hearing the voice of God because if we can't tune into that voice, uh, we will miss divine appointments and opportunities of a lifetime. God goes to so much trouble to set up an opportunity, then we disobey him and we miss it. And it's gone forever sometimes. Gone forever. So I would really challenge you, let's be people that can tune in and hear the voice of the Spirit. We should practice tonight. If we had time, if we weren't only trying to do this an hour and 15, I'd get people to practice hearing God around here tonight, all right? That's usually what we do. We may get time later on, but hearing the voice of God. And so we need to just become good at it. We, we can hear the voice. If you tune in, God's speaking all the time. We're just not listening. God's not silent. Some people think God's silent. He's never silent. We're just not listening. And here's, thing. here's two things that will stop you from um, hearing the voice of God. Fear will stop you from hearing the voice of God. Fear will eliminate you from hearing the voice of God. If you live in a realm of fear, if you have fear of man, if you fear the situation you're in, you will um, not hear the voice of God. The other thing that will stop you from hearing the voice of God is intensity. If you're an intense person, you need to get delivered of the demon of intensity so that you are not freaking people out, not living on an edge of intensity that stops you hearing the voice of God. Because intense people do not hear the voice of God. They mostly hear the voice of the enemy and they scare normal people. So let's not be intense. Got a question? I mean by intense is living in a realm where we are so um, um, intense. What does the word mean? I'm, I'm trying to. It, it, but we're on the edge. We're we're kind of freaky. We're we're a little bit pressured there. Yeah, a nervous pressure. That's what it is. A nervous pressure. So that to me is demonic influence in our lives and we need to get set free from it so that we become peace and free. See, the Bible consistently speaks about having a free spirit. A free spirit is not intense. That's how you best explain it. You're either free or you're intense. 
and I'm free. Jesus set me free. So when you're not intense, you're not worried about stuff, you're not worried about whether you're living right and all that stuff, you have relationship in which you flow with God instead of having this intense lifestyle that tends to judge and tends to uh, also condemn. Intense people um, need to get set free. Hallelujah. You're allowed to say hallelujah there. Um, so um, that's, those are the two things that will stop you hearing the voice of God. Important that you hear the voice of God is what I'm trying to say tonight. Because most people I've won to Christ is simply by hearing the voice of God. So I'm going to go out. I'm not going to go to the breakfast. God says, get back in there. I went back and I sat down. And I'm sitting down and I'm having breakfast with these guys. And then they decide in the gym that they'll all go around and say their name and what they do. The guy, uh, the owner said, I want everybody in the gym to sort of meet each other today. Go around and tell us what your name is, a little bit about you and what you do. And so around the room they went. Um, and it got very interesting. Very interesting, because people are interesting today. They live radical lives. They've, got, they've had more wives than you can count. They've, they've got relationships going on that are immoral and, and wrong, and they don't have a problem talking about it, and uh, that's just how life goes today. By the time it got to Brian, who was sitting beside me, which I wished I hadn't sat beside him that day, because you like to be either the first, mostly the first person to speak. Hi, I'm Don. I'm a Christian. And I'm married to Julia, and um, I pastor a church down the road, and it's really cool, and da-da-da. Everybody's happy to hear that if you're the first. By the time it got to Brian, I was asking myself, would you even tell them you're a Christian? Okay? It's called the Peter syndrome. Yeah. Which will happen. Most of us would have experienced that, the Peter syndrome which will make you not want to speak up and probably deny Christ, which would be a lot nicer at that particular moment. So anyway, gets to Brian, and Brian talks about uh, his life. He says, well, I've been... He's he's an interesting character. He's been a very wealthy man. He ran... uh, He he owned Levi Jeans, um, Asia and South Pacific... Asia and Pacific and America. So he was the CEO of Levi Jeans pretty much across the world. So very influential guy. Um, he talked about some of the relationships he's had in that time, <laughs> which is all interesting. Then he talked, and that's why. I've been, oh, this is why I've been observing Brian, okay? Because Brian comes into the gym every day in a walking cage. That's how he came in. He's 78 years old, I think, 78 comes in a walking cage every day. That's why I observed him. I thought it's interesting that the guy even comes to the gym. But he comes in there and he does a little bit of a workout and then he goes. I said g'day to him a couple of times. This time I'm sitting beside him. And then he tells us how he got the bad back. And the bad back happened. I don't know if you have the term in Australia, but it's called shagger's back, which basically means you've had lots of illicit sex. Sorry, we've got R-rated people in here. Um... Um, But that's what it means. And so he's talking about how he's got Shagger's back, realising I'm next in line. (laughs) People are laughing. People are like, yeah, man, that's the way to to go, Brian, you know? I mean, this is a guy who can barely walk. He's got a cage that he's got to hold on to, but they all think it's cool. And then, of course, it gets totally out of control. People start talking about relationships that they're having, and it just honestly. And I was like, really, God? 
you asked me to come back in here? Maybe this is what you wanted me to hear. Because I ain't got nothing to say. In fact, I'm not even going to tell him who I am. And, uh, and or at least what I do. And so, obviously, it was my turn next. So then it was Don. Here I am, you know. So I'm thinking, mate, I'm just sure. I said, look, my name's Don. And I run an organisation called Inspire. I'm married to a beautiful wife, Julia. And um, we've got uh, four children, 12 grandchildren. And uh, that's me. But they just wouldn't let it rest. <laughs> so I could have just got away scot-free. God, I'm here. I did what you said. Come back into the meeting and sat there and listened to all this garbage. And then someone said, could you please tell us what Inspire is? <laughs> And I'm trying to think of anything you can say that would not mention the word church. And uh, anyway, at the end of the day, it got kind of intense and you had to just say church. I pastor a church just down the road from here. Well, it was like several, you had to use the beep, beep, beep all the time, that button that they use when the language is not too good. And so we had lots of beeping and what a beep, beep waste of time that is. What a beep beep irrelevant organisation on the planet today uh, beep beep that doesn't help any beep beep you're just after people's money beep 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 and it was like and so the, and, I, and I was right there see Holy Spirit I told you you should have just let me go home <laughs> now you got me in here Holy Spirit so I kind of do have a relationship with God where we do talk about stuff like this which is what I think you should have so I said, you got me in here, what's the answer here? Yeah. <laughs> and so the good news is, because I'm tuned into his voice, and I'm sure he hears everything we say, so he then whispered to me, just tell them, the only reason it's irrelevant from you, for you would just be a sign that's a long time since you turned up. For example, Brian, if you were to turn up, God could heal your shagger's back. Well, you could have heard a pin drop, a bit like here. Everybody was silent. Not a word was spoken because it was the most relevant thing that they'd ever heard. I said, the only reason you're calling church irrelevant is because you haven't been long to see how great it is. And if you did turn up, Brian, you could get your back healed. Well, it changed the whole conversation and it just freed the whole place up. And so right there is where I started. You cannot be offended. We are so easily offended. I reckon we miss 90% of our opportunities because we get offended. We get offended by all sorts of stuff and therefore we don't speak up and we get all timid, intimidated by the subject. Therefore we can't talk to God. We forget that we're tuned in with the Holy Spirit. Oops, Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, that's right. Could you please tell me what to say next? Because I haven't got a flipping clue what to answer. <laughs> And most of us haven't if we really owned up to it. And you'll say something stupid. Well, yeah, maybe you're right. The church is a waste of time, you know. You'll end up saying something stupid if you don't tune into what God's got for you. And it's only when you tune in that he'll give you a word of wisdom, which is one of the gifts we talked about, which you can operate in and bring a miracle to Brian in the middle of a confused situation. I went away from there, and obviously the discussion was on to the next person, and we went away. I, to be honest with you, I didn't think anybody would turn up at church, but I invited, oh, that's right, I invited them to come to church just down the road, okay, and which got everybody a little bit sort of rallied up. And, um, and anyway, so I didn't expect anybody to turn up, but on Sunday when I preached, 
I told the story of how it went at the gym first, and I'd given a, and it was a little bit more dialogue to my talk. Okay, there was stuff like every single person on the planet needs to come home sometime. When I was a little kid, I loved going home, man. I'd be down the road, I'd be at school, there was no place like home. And I said, that's the situation for most people on the planet today. I don't care how arrogant you are, how strong you are, how rich you are, everybody wants to go home. And I said, church is God's home on earth. And uh, anyway, and that's how it felt. Anyway, so I talked about that. I made that my subject for Sunday, actually, because it just seemed like a good message to me. And when I preached it, at the end of it, I said, does anybody here today want to give their lives to Christ? Does anybody want to come home? And to my surprise, I gave the article and I saw hands going up a little bit. It's too dark in our church. We have lights out and all that stuff. Couldn't see who it was. But anyway, at the altar call, call when they came forward, I see this walking frame coming down the aisle. <laughs> Obviously with Brian behind it. But alongside him was his wife. And they both came to Jesus that day and surrendered their lives to Christ which is a total miracle. Now, we prayed, because I did tell him I'd do that. So when he came, we prayed for Brian that his back would be totally healed and he wouldn't need the walking frame any longer. And today, Brian walks into church with no walker, no frame, no walking stick, totally and completely healed, simply because I listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit and he gets saved. As a result of that, incidentally, because you've only got to... It's amazing how intimidated we are by the circumstances Man, if you, if you are living in intimidation, don't know who you are, what you are, you've got to get filled with the Holy Spirit because that's the only thing that can do that for you. Because really, I don't care if I'm rejected. Do not care. People have rejected me. I've been kicked out. I've been thrown out. I don't care. I just want to be me. And if we can't be ourselves and be comfortable with who we are, we'll miss a million opportunities to bring the gospel. And incidentally, I bring the gospel on oh, everywhere I go. I told some stories here on Sunday about in, in this new company that has asked me to help out. And I, I am, like, seriously not ashamed, not afraid. I don't care. If they, said, if they said to me on the day, I said, well, look, you've asked me here to help. I just think we should pray. If they said to me, sorry, we don't need you anymore, I don't care. But the funny thing is, it rarely happens. Mostly they love me. And even, I just got a thing today that the company's just won an award in New Zealand for one of being one of the great exporters in the last three months, the greatest exporter in New Zealand. Just because we prayed one day. Changed the whole company. Changed the structure, the heart of the company. Man, we, we've got revival living on the inside. See, if it's always about just getting someone to say, oh, you know, Brian, I want to get you saved today, you know. Saw you him walking on your walker. Hey, look out, Brian, can I pray for you today? I think we've got to be really careful that we're not doing stuff just to be like a goody-goody Christian sort of thing. I think we've got to be really careful that we're not just praying for someone because we think it would make us look good if they got a healing, you know? Because it's not about us. It's seriously not about us. I could have gone up to Brian 20 times in the gym when he was trying to get off his walker and trying to do gym stuff. I could have gone and tried to lead him to Christ many times. But I never did it. I waited for my optimum moment when the Holy Spirit would give me right to bring him to that place. And I think we've got to be very tuned in. I, I find too many Christians do 
crazy stuff that's not God-inspired. Does that help? Okay, so, so Brian becomes born again and, and now I go to the gym now and Uppy, for example, comes up to me. I don't know Uppy from a bar of soap. Uppy's twice the size of me. Um, his, he's got arms that are as big as my legs, all right? Bigger than my legs, actually. And Uppy throws, um, I don't know how big those dumbbells get. I'm scared of anything over 12, all right? And... Uh, but he picks them up, I think they're like 35, like, and he throws them around like, he's looking around smiling at you all while he does it, you know. <laughs> I can't even get them off the ground. That's Uppy. And so Uppy comes up to me one day at the gym. He says, oh, Brian told me you're my pastor. Aww. Now, honestly, I've never told Brian I'm anybody's pastor. But Brian told him that that's the guy who can help you. And he said, I need help because I'm being bullied. <laughs> oh. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm scared of you. How big's the guy that's bullying you? And uh, anyway, Uppy was getting bullied, okay? So, and, and you've got to be careful you don't laugh because you wanted to laugh because... Just his arms would make you not want to bully him. And uh, so I said, well, Uppy, you've come to the right person because I can introduce you to someone that can make you know who you are in such a way that you'll never be bullied again. Uppy's now sitting in church every Sunday worshipping God because he's born again, okay? And on the story goes. I think we've got seven people coming from the gym right now. Um, one of the coaches at the gym just two weeks ago, one of the coaches who snorts cocaine every weekend and um, loves doing lines of cocaine and has told me about that at the gym and he's quite proud of the fact that he can do a line of cocaine and have a spaced out Friday night or whatever. But fit as a fiddle and the shape, he's, he's like totally like wedged. He's like, man, he's got it together. He's a, it's a proper six-pack, um, the one I dream about. Um, <laughs> he's happening. Anyway, he invites me around to his house and now him and his, the girl he's living with, are in church. Born again. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. So on it goes, all we've got to be is tuned in to what God wants us to do, okay? Is this helping anybody? These, these are just practical. I mean, I lead people to Christ all the time like that, all the time. So I can give you example after example of these, these keys that will unlock God's destiny in your life to be. See, if we're not leading people to Christ, say, say you've only got, um, if you've got a church, and, and some more things I need to say, actually. The church is the greatest place to lead people to Christ. If you just want to be a lone ranger, then may as well, give up right now, you know, because you'll get people saved, but they won't go on and be effective for God. And, and I see people waste their time all the time trying to do that, okay? Um, I'm going to try and just buzz through a few points here, because I spent a long time on that story. Um, um, how do you take someone you barely know and get them to be receptive to the gospel? Just a question. How do you take barely know and get them to be receptive to the gospel? Here's how it is. You become their friend. Okay, you become their friend. It's really simple, man. I invite people out to coffee all the time. I, um, 
the guy, the cafe I'm going to at the moment, the cafe I'm going to at the moment, um, I heard that the guy's wife had cancer. Um, he's not a Christian, and uh, still not a Christian, incidentally. And so he owns the cafe. But I heard about this. One of the one of the uh, waitresses told me that Brian's not here today because his wife's got cancer. And I said, well, what I'd like to do is when he's here tomorrow, I'd like to catch up with him. So the next day, he was in the cafe, and I said, Brian, I'd love to buy you a coffee in your own cafe. Sat down with him and talked about his wife. Ended up holding his hand and praying with him for his wife to get healed. And she has now come right through that process. He now so considers me a friend, so considers me a friend, that anyone from our church who goes to his cafe now gets 18% off anything they buy. And he specially printed a card. I wish I had one with me. I specially printed a card. It's got our logo on it and his logo joint together because he believes that we're a team now. And so he's given me a thousand of these cards to hand out to anyone in our church if they want to use his cafe, which obviously is a winner for him as well. But this is a life being radically changed just because you become their friend, okay? You, you, you've got to look for windows and doors of opportunity is basically what I'm saying there. It's like they're all around us. Like, I, I, I have a lot. Here's the other thing. You better have a sense of humour. If you've got no sense of humour, quit now because you'll bore people to death. You'll ruin them. You'll upset them. You'll get angry at them. You'll get judgmental. I have a sense of humour. I love it. I love it when they when they ridicule me because I, I love taking through that process and getting to the process of being their friend. If you have to get your message across before relationship, forget it. It's all about relationship. And so uh, what's an example? I can, oh, here's an example. Um, let's give you John. John is an example, okay? John. So John, John, we give John. We, we have food bank, a food bank at church, and so we hand out food, and we get people take food to different people. We took food to John's parents. John got upset about this because he's a very wealthy man, and he got upset that we were helping his parents out and not and not leaving it up to him. So next thing, he rang the church. Then. Uh, he got quite upset at somebody and they put his, they said, well, you need to speak to our senior pastor. And I said, love, mate, I'd love to take you out for lunch. Knowing that if he gets upset that we give his, his, his parents a free gift, he probably don't want me to give him lunch. He'll buy it for me. So we, I invited him to a really flash place and we went out and we had lunch together and he paid. Hallelujah. And, uh, and it was his choice. He wouldn't have it any other way. And, and at the end of it, and you'll know why. Because we sit down, and, and I said, look, what I need to explain to you is the reason we do it. We don't want anything in return. We just do it because we care. We, number one, care for people. And I think that's got to become a huge part of our heart. And so we give it to your parents because we care. And he's, like, trying to come to grips with us that we, us random people would care about his parents. Anyway, we talk about that for a while. Then... Um, I say to him, we get talking, you know, and he's sitting across the table, and he's quite a grumpy sort of a guy. And uh, I said, so tell me, what do you do for fun? Because everybody's got... One, here's, a, here's a good key there, okay? Find out people's story. We're so often usually trying to tell our story, like I am, all the time telling my story, but why don't we listen to other people's story? I, believe it or not, if I'm not preaching... If I'm not delivering a message and I'm meeting people or I'm with people, isn't it funny how you get with people and they just, you, you know, you meet somebody, you know, how you going, what's your name, you know, nice to meet you today. And uh, what is your name, sorry? 
Annette, it's nice to meet you, Annette. I'm Don. And then next thing, Annette's telling me, oh, man, this is what happened in my life. This is what I've been doing. This is what this happened here, and this is what that happened there. And uh, boy, oh, boy, I've had enough of it in 10 seconds, you know. And you just want to get the heck out of there. And I find that if I meet people, I try to never tell my story. I ask them, what's your story? If you want to win people to Christ, discover what they love. And you'll find that you can change your life. You know, there's nothing worse than having people who just want to blurt their story all over you all the time. And it's just horrible time. Until they've told you their story and then they'll ask you, what's different about you? There's something about you. I want to know what it is that's different about you. And I never have to force my story on anybody. They always are. Even Pink. Even Pink. The rock singer Pink asked me to tell her team my story. I never offered. She said, please come and tell my group your story. Then I got to pray with Pink and it had a definite influence on her life. Some of his songs even reflected some of the stuff that we talked about that day from there on in. So we can have an affair, but you've always got... So I was like, John, tell me what you enjoy. What do you do for fun, mate? This is a grumpy guy, okay? Tell me what you do for fun. And then he said, well, actually, what I like to do is fly helicopters, but I can't fly helicopters any longer because I've got a blood pressure problem and I've lost my licence. Which I responded... Oh, I didn't say I'll pray for you. That kind of scares people, incidentally. Okay? Just to come flat out with that. But what I did say to him, we can get your blood disorder fixed up today. Which makes him, yeah. How could that happen? Simply, I could pray for you and God would heal you. But I think you've always got to be a little bit of mystic about it. You know, you've, you just don't go for the jugular. You've got to say, we could get your blood pressure fixed today. And he's thinking, is there a doctor here? You know, he's looking around, he's trying to work that out. How could you get my blood pressure fixed today? Well, I couldn't, but Jesus is here to do it for you. Can I pray with you? And incidentally, they never want to pray for you. And incidentally, no matter how hard you read the Bible, I don't think you'll find one place in there where anybody closed their eyes when they prayed. We only do that because we're kind of intimidated and weird in church. Incidentally, when you're witnessing on the street, never close your eyes when you're praying. For, in fact, I barely close my eyes when I'm praying for a living soul. If I was praying, close my eyes when I was in Africa recently, I would be minus fingers. I wouldn't be able to open my own phone now because my fingers would be bitten off with biting demons. You've got to keep your eyes wide open when you're praying over there. But even in the Western world, don't close your eyes. I remember my friend I'm trying to think of his name right now. Him and I were evangelising on the streets of Dandenong one day. God, I wish I could remember his name. Anyway, it's gone from me. And he chose to close his eyes while we prayed. This guy said, yeah, you can pray for me. Of course you can. I'd love you to pray for me. And so he was like, in Jesus' name, I just pray you'd bless him, you know, if your eyes are shut. And next thing, and uh, in those days, unfortunately, my eyes were shut too, so I never saw it happen either. I was just glad it was him and not me. And while he's praying, Jesus, I pray you'd change this man's life. He thought, was boom. <laughs> and uh, Danny, that was his name. Danny woke up in Danny Long Hospital. So don't pray, close your eyes when you're praying for these people. Keep your eyes wide open. You never know why they want you to pray. Yeah, pray for me, please, because I want to shut you up. So just um, that's just a warning. Don't close your eyes while you're praying for people, okay? Um, um, 
we were, oh yes, so anyway, so he's not going to close his eyes because people don't. And there's people around, he doesn't want to be embarrassed. So he's here. And so I said, mate, if I could pray for you, get your blood disorder put back together. And I say, so is it okay? And he's like, yeah. And so you don't expect them to close their eyes and, you know, wait, waiting for him to close his eyes. You'll be waiting all day. The restaurant will be closed before you get around to it. And so I just said, mate, can we just hold hands? And so I just reached across the table, looked him right in the eye. It's quite, quite, it's kind of in, a little intimidating because he's looking you right in the eyes, you know. So when's this miracle going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And you're saying in Jesus' name, I declare right now that your blood pressure is going to come into order and it's going to be totally normal. You're going to get your pilot's license back. And I'm not really that powerful in faith. So most of the time I think it was a nice prayer. Didn't feel a thing. He ain't going to get healed. So I go home. About two weeks later, I'm sitting in my office, which is a rare thing for me, and I'm sitting in my office, and I get a, and they say, there's a phone call for you, Don, and it just happens to be John, and John says, guess what? Just got my pilot's license given back to me. He said, I don't know what you did that day. You said that prayer over me, but my blood pressure is totally normal all of a sudden. That's a miracle. So he says, and so he says, so do you want to come flying this afternoon? So I went flying in his helicopter all over the bays of Auckland and we landed and then he gave me a turn. It was just absolutely brilliant. And then uh, while we were talking, I said, mate, what you really need to do is get into church. So he came to church and he said, look, I'm going to be there on Sunday morning. And he wasn't keen on coming. And I said, well, listen, why don't we do it like this? I said, I like to have people come in and they're secret choppers. So you could be a secret chopper for me and tell me how goofy we really are. So why don't you turn up, and I said, you can make a list of the stupid things we do, and you can bring them to me at the end of the meeting and say, this is why I think you guys are goofy, all right? So he came along, and he sat right down the back, brought his wife, brought his daughter, brought his mother, and brought his father, the people we'd given the food stuff to. And they all sat in the road down the back, and I preached just an ordinary message like I would have preached here on Sunday or whatever. And at the end of it, the whole family come down on the altar and surrender their lives to Christ. But he, at the end of it, when we're supposed to be like, come on now, pray a prayer and give your life to Jesus. Lord, I invite you into my heart to be my saviour. And, and before he gets shopped out to go with Peter or somebody, he says, I just need to see you. And he's got his checkbook out. And he says, who do I write this out to? This would be the most inspiring place I've ever been to in my life. And he said, I've got a $12,000 check here that I want to give to somebody. And I said, well, you better write it out to me right now. <laughs> oh, sorry, Inspire Church. Um, so that's just a few examples of the effectiveness of the gospel. I can give you, I can give you just hundreds. A lady I sat beside on the aeroplane. Um, uh, people that I led to Christ in the in the park down the road from me. The girl who came up to me in the park and said this to me, um, said, Pastor Don, oh no, she didn't say it, sorry. sorry. She came up, she said, excuse me, aren't you the pastor of Inspire Church? And I said, yes, I am. She said, would I be allowed to come along? Which is a frightening question, really, because we thought everybody was welcome. But suddenly we find out there are a lot of people who don't feel welcome in our nice Nice churches. And so I thought, why would this woman not feel she could come? 
And I said, of course you're welcome. She said, you know what, I used to go to that thing, that kids club thing you had when I was eight years old. And she said, like, that was just so much fun. And she said, I'm wondering if I, and I could see she was pregnant. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, why? and she had a pram as well. And she's pregnant and she's got a pram. And then um, she says, oh, look, um, um, I, I'd like to introduce you to this guy. And she brings over this guy who's obviously not her husband. And I found out the reason she thought she couldn't come is because she's got one baby to some guy. She's got one in her belly to the new guy. And he's not her husband. And she thinks that if she came into the building, we would probably evict her. And so I said, no, no, you're the sort of people we love in church. That's why we exist. And so she comes along and uh, brings this guy. And they come along to church. And nobody would dare tell them or ask them the question, are you married? Because that would be like the ultimate sin in our church to even present the question. So they come along and they sit there probably for three months. And then he comes to me one day and he says, look, I've been just sitting in your church. And obviously they've got saved now, still living together. Got saved. And he comes and he says, I'm just thinking I maybe need to do the right thing about Emma and as a result of that Julia and I had the privilege of marrying them recently that's how the gospel works yeah. no judgment no condemnation a girl who's a single uh, a single mum a new single mum she used to be married husband was a, a idiot and he's gone and and she's on our uh, creative team one of the singers and they came to me one day judge this any way you like you're allowed to. And uh, my creative uh, leader came to me one day and, I th she's, he, and said to me, I think we've got a sack, Jean. I don't like those words. <laughs> anyway, I think we've got to get rid of Jean. She can't be on the worship team any longer. And I said, well, why's that? And she said, because I think she's sleeping with a guy. And I said, well, how do you know that? Because how do you know? And I said, have you checked that out? And she said... Um, well, no, we haven't really checked it out, but I think that's what's happening. And I said, well, someone's got to find out. But everybody's too scared to find out the real facts in life these days. So I said, well, I'll do it. And so just happened, two nights later, she happened to come into church, this girl, Jen. I said, Jen, we're having a coffee together. And we went down to my friend's cafe, and we sat down to coffee. And I said, so, Jen, you're a great girl. You're loving the worship team. I'm loving it, Pastor Don. And uh, I said, man, yeah, you're a great voice and I love what you're doing up there. And uh, then I said, so have you got a boyfriend at the moment? And she said, oh, yeah, I've got a new guy in my life. He's fantastic. Are you having sex with him, Jen? <laughs> and uh, that's just straight out of the box, you know. You having sex with him? And she's like, yeah, we are. And then she says this to me. Then she says this to me. She says, do you want me to resign off the team? And I said, did I say that? Do you want me to, maybe I should resign off the team. And I said, I never said that. And she said, but do you think I should? And I said, well, no, I don't. But I said, I think what we do need to do here is I need, to, what's the guy's name again? Chris. I said, I think I need to meet Chris. Because I figure, this is what I figure, and I've seen it happen a million times and I've met too many offended people out there. My doctor in hospital is so offended. My doctor so hates the church. So hates the church. 
and I have declared that we will be known what we're for, not what we're against. Anyway, so I said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to meet Chris for coffee tomorrow. Could you organise it so that we could have coffee together tomorrow? I met Chris at the cafe the next day, and I said, Chris, what do you do for a living, buddy? He says, I'm a builder. I said, we've got a working bee happening at church this weekend. Would you mind coming and give us a hand? And we kind of clicked over the coffee. He turned up at the working bee. And when he's at the working bee, I have him give him some of the stink jobs around the place because I'm like, what are you doing with one of our girls? So I gave him the stink jobs. He gets into it. He works with me. At the end of the day, he comes to me. And this is what he says. I have never in my life worked with such a cool bunch of guys. He said, I want to, is it okay if I come to church tomorrow? I'm going to come along with Jen. And so he came along with Jen, sat right at the back, right at the back. And he sat down there. I got up and I preached. He sat there. He looked at us and he walked out again, came to me after and he said, you're a good guy. He says, I can understand what you're saying. It's pretty real. It's right down my street. He came for, I think, two months, sat right at the back. Jen was still singing. And uh, he sat right at the back for two months. He came one day and he sat about halfway up which was pretty cool. Then a week later, he's sitting on the front row. And when I gave the altar call, he's the first one to respond on the altar and gave his life to Christ. Now, they're married. They're part of the creative, both part of the creative team now. And we've had a win-win. Whereas, if I had said, you are fired off the stage, you've got to step down for two months Get yourself sorted. She would have gone home and said to Chris, don't have to go to church next week, I'm fired. And he would have never darkened the church door in his life, I would imagine. I tell you that because I've seen these things happen far too often. But he's born again right now. I can give you example after example. So Amy comes to church one day, this girl called Amy, okay, she comes to church one day. One of, her, one of our great girls invites Amy along. Amy comes to church. And uh, Amy decides she hates everything about church. On her way out of church, one of the girls grabs her and says, uh, what do you do for fun? What do you do in your life? You know? And she says, well, actually, I work at a cafe. And, and they said to her, after she had thought in church on a Sunday morning, thought, I'll never go back to that church again. I'm out of here. And said to her, would you mind helping out on the cafe tonight? And because she likes making coffee, she's a barista, she said, oh, yeah, I could come tonight. And she came and helped on the cafe. Now, Amy never came into church for three months. All she did was help on the cafe. I was talking to her one day, and she said, would you mind if I brought some cupcakes along? I love making cupcakes, and I'd like to just give cupcakes to people. So she became... Amy, the, and I used to, then she started, she started sitting in the back of church, and she started sitting in the halfway, then she started coming forward, and then I nicknamed her Amy the Cupcake Maker, which I reckon we need to get more nicknames happening in church, because I think if we can befriend people that way, it opens them up. She became known as Amy the Cupcake Maker, which was pretty out there, and then one day, after she had been in the church for probably five months, making cupcakes. I got her to make cupcakes for her. I said, look, we're having a conference. Would you mind putting an a, a, a Inspire logo on top of your cupcakes? And she made 500 cupcakes for the church with the Inspire logo on the top of them. 
And she said, I just want to bless the church. And then this is Amy, who doesn't want to know about Christianity. And so she made the cupcakes. Everybody's like, Amy, you're the cupcake girl. People were taken out. Can I take you out to lunch? You're the cupcake girl. And she simply became known as a cupcake. One day, I thought what I'll do is I'd like to pray for all my leaders. So I called all the leaders. I said, come on, all the leaders. I want to pray for all the leaders. And I couldn't believe it when Amy was standing on the altar. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.